All right, brothers and sisters, it's time to take out our Bibles and look at God's Word. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the text we are going to be at is on page 1018 in the blue Bibles in the pew in front of you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8 here in just a moment. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Now as we think about Christmas, think about your favorite Christmas traditions, or your favorite Christmas movies, or your favorite Christmas music, your favorite Christmas songs. Are not they often the ones that make us feel something deep in our hearts? Our favorite ones, right? The ones we like the most, they're the ones that make us feel something deep in our hearts. Specifically, the ones that give us a sense of wonder. The ones that give us a sense of hope. As much as some of us grown-ups are trying to downplay it, we are all longing for there to be magic in Christmas. Real magic. We long for it. We want it down deep. We want there to be a possibility of things to happen during this season that could not happen at any other time. We want there to be magic and wonder and awe in Christmas. And I think we all long for that in our hearts because that first Christmas had it all. Joy, hope, wonder, and even the miraculous. Let's read our text today, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. God's Word says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This morning I want to focus in specifically on verse 10 and four distinct phrases that we find in what the angel told the shepherds in that announcement in verse 10. Four distinct pieces of that announcement. Number one, fear not. Number two, I bring you good news. Number three, of great joy. Number four, for all the people. Fear not, good news, great joy for all people. Let's take those in turn. First, the angels said to the shepherds, fear not. And they are saying it still to us today. The good news of Christmas takes away our fear. The good news of Christmas takes away our fear. Now, how does that work? What does Christmas have anything to do with the fears that we have? Well, there's a few. Let me give you four in turn here. Hebrews chapter 2, and I don't, don't want you to turn there, stay in our text, but listen to Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14, where the author of Hebrews says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, the good news of Christmas takes away our fear of death. Our fear of death. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 right there tells us that Jesus became a man, shared in our humanity, and wonder of wonders, died. 
God in the flesh actually died. And he died so that he could disarm or destroy Satan, who held the power of death, and deliver us from our fear of death. You see, for those of us who are in Christ, because Jesus came, we no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to fear death. One of the most beautiful things that I've experienced during this whole coronavirus pandemic is talking to people in the church and other Christians that go to other churches and hearing so many people tell me, I'm ready to die. I'm not, I'm not afraid of death. I'm ready to die. You see, when you're in Christ, you can say that. Only in Jesus can you say, I'm not afraid of what's on the other side of death. Because I know who holds my eternity. I know why I'm going to be in heaven when I die. It's not because of me. It's because of him. It's because Jesus came and what he did while he was here. Because of this birth, we do not have to fear death. But we also do not have to fear God's wrath. Christians do not have to live in fear of God's wrath. Now, there is a sense in which every believer should have a healthy fear of God. In fact, every human being should have a healthy fear of God. Solomon tells us in the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you can't even claim to start being wise until you fear the Lord, right? We should all have a healthy fear of God and reverence of God, a healthy fear of what he can and will do in the last day to those who are not on his side, right? In the last day, God will destroy those who are his enemies. But for those of us who have been reconciled to him, we do not have to fear what that wrath will do to us because that wrath has already been poured out on a substitute, on someone who took our place. It's what Jesus is doing at the cross, you guys. When Jesus is on the cross, what's going on is not just, here's how much I love you, I'm suffering physically. No, he was taking the wrath of God for the sins of you and I. And for all of those who place their trust and their faith in him and treasure him above all things and stake their eternity on him and his death and his resurrection, we do not have to fear the wrath of God. The good news of Christmas, the fact that Jesus came, it takes away our fear. More than that, we do not have to fear the spiritual forces in this world that are stronger than we are. Brothers and sisters, there are spiritual forces in this world, some for good, but some for evil. And the ones that are for evil, I'm here to tell you, they are stronger than we are. Satan is stronger than you are, and Satan is smarter than than you are. Satan even knows this Bible better than every single one of us in here. He's had thousands and thousands and thousands of years to learn, to practice temptation and deception on human beings. They are stronger than we are, but we do not have to fear them. Because Hebrews 2 there that we just read said Jesus came to destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Now, destroy there, I don't think is the best translation, actually. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version here. But the New American Standard Bible actually translates destroy there as render powerless. Jesus came to render Satan powerless. 
You see, when Jesus came and died on the cross, it didn't destroy Satan right then and there. Satan's still around. He's still tempting and deceiving like he has always been. And he will be destroyed one day. Revelation tells us God will throw Satan and his demons into the lake of fire, the second death, at the judgment day. But until then, he's still deceiving and tempting as he always has been. But at the cross, Jesus rendered him powerless. At the cross, Jesus died so that the wrath of God would not come upon those of us who put their faith in God and in Jesus specifically. Jesus died on the cross to take away the power that Satan had, the power of death, the power of the fear of death. And now we say with Paul, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? We're not afraid of it anymore. Jesus rendered Satan powerless on the cross. And now no spiritual force can stop the advancement of the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ. There is no spiritual force on this earth that can stop a believer from coming and placing their faith in Jesus and crossing over in that moment when they get baptized, crossing over in that moment from death to life. Satan loses that person, and he can't do anything about it. John says in 1 John, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. There's a power there to not fear Satan and demons and what they can do. Because the one who's in me is greater and stronger and more powerful than all of the forces for evil in this world. The one who is in me is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit whom God promises to give to all who come to Jesus in faith and are baptized into his name. For those of us who have done that, we know the Holy Spirit is living inside of us right now. And so we can, we can withstand any attacks that Satan and his demons can give because of the one who is in us. And so we say with Paul in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? We're not afraid. And then finally... The good news of Christmas dispels our fear of circumstances, or you might say our fear of the future. There are sometimes things to be fearful of in this world. What's going to happen? What's going to happen next year? Brothers and sisters, if if this year has taught us anything, it's that we have no idea what's going to happen next year, right? No idea. I say Lord willing a lot more now than I did at the beginning of 2020. I'm here to tell you, there were a bunch of preachers at the very beginning of 2020 who, who had these series, these preaching series, sermon series ready to go called 2020 Vision, right? It's the year 2020, we've got 2020 Vision, so it's the vision for the church in 2020. And here's all the great things that this church is going to do in 2020, and guess what? All those plans went right out the window, all of them. We had no idea, right? We don't know what's coming in the future, could be good, could be bad. We don't know. We don't know what the future holds for this world and the circumstances of this world, and sometimes it causes us to fear. But brothers and sisters, in Christ, we have something that circumstances cannot take away. In Christ, we have something that the world cannot touch. And we do not fear because Jesus is on the throne. And for those of us who are in Christ, our future is secure in him and what he has accomplished. So we're not afraid 
of circumstances or the future. The good news of Christmas takes away our fears. But after the angel said, fear not, the angel then said, I bring you good news. Good news. Christmas is all about good news. The good news of verse 11, that Jesus was born, a Savior, Christ the Lord. Christmas is all about good news. What it's not about is good advice. Christmas is about good news, but it's not about good advice. Our entire faith, Christianity, centers around the coming of Jesus. So Christmas is the center of our faith. Just like Easter is also the center of our faith, because it's one, the coming of Jesus, to be born and to die and to resurrect. It's the center of our faith, right? But so many try to make Christmas and Christianity, especially Christianity, a religion of good advice. So many churches in America today are peddling a message each Sunday like seven steps to a better marriage or how to become a better you or five ways to face your giants or do this and do that and God will be pleased with you and you will be happy. Brothers and sisters, it's good advice. But it is no good telling a lost and dying world seven ways to act like a Christian, seven ways to act like you're saved. No, we need to help them to become saved. People need to be saved. The gospel is not good advice. It's good news. It's an announcement of something that has already been done. It's a proclamation. Look at what God has done. It's not something for us to do. It's something God has done. They were to name him Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. The angel told Mary and Joseph, you are to name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. You know what the name of Jesus means? It means God saves. It's not what we do. It's what he has done. When Jesus was on the cross, at the very end, he said, it is what? It is finished. It is finished. It is done. The good news points us all back to that and says, believe it. Here it is. You just have to accept it. You just have to take it. What do you do with good news? You believe it. You stake your eternity on it. In John chapter 6, just after Jesus had fed thousand with that great miracle, they were following him. They were asking him questions. And they couldn't get it in their heads that there wasn't anything they needed to do. They wanted something to do. They wanted Jesus to give them a checklist. And they say in John chapter 6, they say to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. The work of God is to believe. You want something to do? Believe it. Believe the good news. Good advice is not going to save people. The good advice of moralism, as we often call it, the good advice of moralism is like giving a starving man a cookbook. It doesn't help. It's not going to do anything for him. It's just laying a burden on him that he can't fulfill. He needs the news of where to find food and to eat, right? We can't give him cookbook. We're we're telling people out there all the time. We're telling people who are not saved, who are on a comfortable path to hell, here's seven ways to act like you're saved. And we need to to get them saved. We need to help them become saved, to know Christ. Good advice is telling people what they should or should not do. Good news is about what has already been done. 
Good advice lays burdens on people. Good news takes burdens off. Good advice encourages people to try and save themselves. Good news takes the focus off of us and places it on the one who can actually save us. Fear not, for I bring you good news. But what did the angel say next? Good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. The glorious truths of the Christmas story bring joy to all who hear. Or we might say to all who have ears to hear. The glorious truths of the Christmas story bring joy to us. Ponder with me for a moment. Meditate with me on some of the astounding truths that we find in this story alone, this Christmas story. Think about this one. The second person of the Trinity became a human baby without ever ceasing to be God. Think about that. Let it hit you. Does it not cause you to worship? Does it not give you joy to think about that astounding truth? Or how about this one? The invincible, all-powerful one became helpless. A helpless baby that had to depend on others to feed him, and to change him, and to try to figure out his needs when all he could do was cry. A helpless baby that had to learn. This is God in the flesh here. The all-powerful, invincible one becoming helpless. Think about this. Mary's maker became Mary's son. He made her. He allowed himself to be born from her womb and to be raised by her. Or think about this one. The king of the universe left the throne room of heaven for a barn and a manger and a poor family. Does it not bring you joy? Or this, this one, finally. He left the worship of angels. Angels were worshiping him. And he left that for the scorn and the insults and the persecution of ungrateful men whom he had made, whom he had given life and the very breath that they had to curse him. He left all of that for that. Does this not give you joy? Nothing in all the stories of fiction is so marvelous as this, this Christmas story. God becomes a man and dwells with his people and shares in their humanity and their weakness to die for them and to be raised again. In fact, in almost every story in classic literature, in almost every story that gives us a sense of wonder that we are compelled and drawn to, in almost all of those stories, we find allusions pointing back to this story. Open your eyes in all of them and you'll see it. It's all pointing right here because this is the story. And the people who write successful fiction, they've figured out that God made our hearts. Even if they don't acknowledge this explicitly, God made our hearts. God made our hearts to long for this. And so every time we get a hint of it or a whiff of it in another story, it excites us. We want more of that. Some of us don't even recognize what we're doing. We're longing for Christ. We're longing for the glory and the wonder of the Christmas story. 
It gives us joy. Because this was not just a display of glory, it was a rescue operation. It gives us joy because it shows us salvation is not by works, but by grace through faith. It's not good advice, it's good news. It gives us joy because we can be forgiven because Jesus came. Because He came, we can be forgiven of our sins. And brothers and sisters, that is worth more than all of the money and all of the comfort and all of the power in the whole universe. The fact that I could be forgiven for the things that I've done. Does that not bring you joy? It gives us joy because the gospel makes us right with God. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can be on God, no longer be one of His enemies. The Bible says explicitly, if you come to Christ, if you have not given your life to Him, you are an enemy of God. You are on the side of God's enemies, even if you've done nothing. Anyone who has not come to Christ for salvation is God's enemy, but in Christ we can be reconciled to God. It gives us joy because it shows us this life is not all there is. This life is often joyful, and I hope this is a joyful time for you and your family this Christmas season, but brothers and sisters, we know life is not always like that. More often than not, it's hard. There's suffering. There's pain. For a lot of people, their life is defined by that stuff. But we can have joy because Jesus coming shows us this life is not all there is. There's more on the other side. There's more after death. There's glory and goodness and pleasure and satisfaction to be had after this life is over. So the angel said, fear not. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For all the people. The good news of Christmas is for all people. Not just the privileged few. For all people. Now, we're kind of used to the way this world works, are we not? We are used to accepting the fact that some things in this world are only for the privileged few, right? Some things in this world I'm just not going to have access to. Only the rich have access to that. Only the powerful or the influential have access to that. We've come to grips with the way the world works. And sometimes there are things that we just will not have access to, right? But not the good news of Christmas. Not the good news of Christmas. This news came to lowly shepherds intentionally. God did not send the angels to announce it in a palace to kings and influential people. God did not send the angels to announce it to the wealthy and those who, who could tell the most people who had the most influence. No, God sent the angels to lowly shepherds doing their dirty work in a field with no one else around. Because the good news of Christmas is for all people, not just the privileged few. Jesus came to a lowly young woman and her fiancé. This is who God chose, a lowly young woman and her fiancé, who would become even more lowly because they were about to have a child out of wedlock in that culture. And God chose them. In fact, they were from a town that was so lowly when Philip went and told Nathanael about the Messiah and told him where this guy was from, Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's, that's what people thought about the place where Jesus and his family were from. That's what God chose. It's for all people. 
The greatest gift in the world is not only for the rich. It's not only for the wise. It's not only for the influential. It's not only for the respectable in society. Some of us might have started down that list and thought, oh yeah, that's great, because it's for me too. It's not for all those people out there. No, it's, it's not only for the respectable in the society. You know, some of us work really hard to try to make our lives respectable among our community. The good news of Christmas isn't just for those people. It's for those people that you would look at and consider them not respectable. It's for people you might be embarrassed to be seen around. It's for people you might avoid. It's for all. And the good news of Christmas, the greatest gift in the world, is not only for the good. Not only for people who are obedient. It's not only for people who are good. For people who've made a mess of their lives. It's for people who have embarrassing things in their past. It's for people who have done horrible things to themselves and to others. The good news of Christmas is for all the people. Now, I said we were going to look at four parts of this, but there's a fifth. There's one word in verse 10 that I want to draw your attention to before we stop. One word. The angel said, fear not for behold. Behold. Now what does that word mean? He says, behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Behold. Behold means think over this. Gaze at it. Stare at it. Meditate on it. Treasure it up in your heart. Look down just a few lines in your Bibles at verse 19. Luke 2, verse 19. It's a, a verse that I've always just stands out like a sore thumb in this narrative. Luke 2, 19, it says, But Mary treasured up all these things. You know, essentially what that's saying is Mary had the wherewithal. God gave her the wherewithal to stop and appreciate what was going on and to treasure it in her heart. You know, we, we, we constantly pass over big moments in our lives and only later in hindsight do we see how important that was and only later do we appreciate it and we look back and we think, oh, I wish I would have appreciated that more. And Mary, it seems, was able to do this, to, to ponder these things in her heart, to treasure them up in her heart, this Christmas story as it was happening to her and her husband and her son. She treasured it up in her heart. That's what beholding is. Behold the Christmas story. That's what we're doing right now. Right now we're trying to behold the Christmas story. This sermon is us trying to behold the glory of God and of Christ in the Christmas story. But I'm here to tell you, you need much more than a 30-minute sermon once a year for the good news of Christmas to take root in your heart. You need much more than a 30-minute sermon once a year. We need to look and look, and look, and look, and look, and behold the glory of God in His Word all the time. We need this. We need it. Think about the times we're living in. Do you not need this? I need it. It's not going to work just to get it in a sermon once a year or even once a week. It's not enough. Behold the glory of God and the goodness of His love for us 
in the Christmas story. Beholding is not something you do by accident. Beholding is something you have to discipline yourself to do. You have to actively do it. You won't behold the glory of God by just sitting back and living life. No, you've, you've got to look. You've got to open it up. You've got to read it. You've got to hear it. You've got to be around it. Behold. You know, we tell this story every year, right? Every year. We do this again and again and again and again and again. Are you getting bored of the Christmas story after so many years of it? No. Nobody's getting bored of this. Why? Because it's so compelling. Because it satisfies our hearts every time. You don't get bored. You want to hear it every year, over and over again. We don't need to hear it in a different way. We don't need to hear it wrapped up in a different package. We just want to hear the same old, old story. The way that God gave it. Because it satisfies our hearts like nothing else. Jesus came. The God of the universe became a man. And he came to eventually die. For the sins of his people. It's the good news of Christmas. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would plant this good news deep in our hearts. But God, we also pray that you would help us to come back for it time and time again. I pray that we would wake up tomorrow and desire to open our Bibles and hear it again. To come to you for the satisfaction that only you can give. God, Christmas is about Jesus and about your glory and what you have done. So fix our eyes on him. Fix our eyes on Jesus this Christmas. And in our entire lives, fix our eyes on him. Because nothing is more important. God, thank you for your good words to us. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for the hope that it gives and the wonder and the awe that it puts into our hearts. It's because of Jesus and in his great name that we pray. Amen.